who did you grow up following and when? I grew up, actually, well, I started off supporting, uh, I guess, Rangers for a very short period of my time. My, my grandfather, who's now dead, he was a big Rangers fan, so he kind of indoctrinated me. But uh, as I got, like, as I'm maybe a, bit, a little bit older, this was maybe when I was uh, three or four years old, and uh, I went to live abroad, and my father then had fear fair claim sort of uh, no, no distractions we turned me into a Celtic fan so yeah I was a Celtic fan so I went to see Celtic quite a fair bit as a, as a young guy and yeah also Scotland so they, they remain my teams today Scotland and Celtic Jolly good and I hope Celtic can break the hegemony of Glasgow Rangers who have won one <laughs> Scottish title in a row and you've lost Scott Bruin Bruin has gone to Aberdeen which I think will be a great move because now he's going to have to make his another club pay all his fines. Um, so yeah, who, who yeah. comes in for Brown? Who's Celtic's midfielder going to be next year? Yeah, I think you could write a book on the way Celtic have handled it. I mean, there's no team, I think, in the world that could go for nine years' dominance and have such a dominant position and then a complete disaster of a season. I mean, last season for Celtic was so, so bad. Well, they're under new management now. I think that was the end of an era with Lawwell and uh, Fergus. Has he gone as well? Oh no, no, Fergus has been gone a long time. No, no, it's um, it's Lawwell, and then uh, the owner is a guy called Dermot Desmond. He's an Irish billionaire who lives in uh, Barbados. Yes. Um, so he's he's owned them for a while, and he's got an interesting um, connection to. He, he's been a Celtic fan, I think, for a while. So he, he's owned them for a long, long time, and he bought kind of Fergus all stole shares and anyway um, so yeah so Lennon left but they'll be I think I manager for three three months you see and they've kept the same backroom staff that, that were that were helping uh, Lennon now I mean it didn't go very well after Lennon left they were rubbish after they didn't there was no bounce there was no improvement and um, we've got, got Gavin Strachan who's Gordon Strachan's son and we've got John Kennedy who's a former defender who's I think he's done every role at the club apart from drive the team bus um, he's been everything now I don't I think he's now officially assistant manager we've brought in obviously Eddie Howe we're going to get Eddie Howe the former Bur- Bur- Bournemouth manager that was all talked about and it was when's Eddie Howe coming and then he had to put the embarrassing I mean I've never seen a club put a statement out saying they didn't get a manager no, Celtic terrible. actually had to release a statement saying they didn't get Eddie Howe for reasons out with their control and so uh, to appease is, the fans I have okay. a friend in Melbourne in Victoria and about 10 years ago, he introduced me to the enigma that is Angi Postacoglu. And so we're going to be delighted with his no-nonsense approach to football. I think you've got to judge him on results. But I think he's going to figure out which players he wants. There's a strong Australian connection with Celtic. Viduka was at Celtic. So I think it's an OK appointment from the outside. I don't know what the general tenor is among Celtic fans. Celtic is such a big club and I think it's hard for people outside of Scotland to, to grasp how big Celtic is and how much pressure is put on you. And I think that he's talked about it, Postacoglu said it's a big club, but I think he'll understand when Celtic lose two or three games, the pressure is huge. You can't go anywhere in Scotland. You can't go for your shopping. You can't go out for a meal without being bothered. It's very, very pressurised. And I think that will be difficult for him. Also, I think that the squad is very, very threadbare. I mean, we've lost, like you see, Scott Brown's gone. Our captain, our leader, our centre midfielder, he's gone. So who do we have? Well, we've got a young guy called Ismail Sorrell. Can he step up and perform at that level week in, week out? It's very unlikely. We've got no defence. Um, our defence last year was made up of three loanies, Shane, Shane Duffy, John Joe, John Joe Kenny and uh, Diego Laxall, who have all returned to their clubs. Oh, boy. Um, You've got that you know, kid, the kid who played, who was called up by Steve Clark for Scotland. I can't remember his name. Very young, very talented midfielder. Uh, David Turnbull. 
Yes. Yeah, David Turnbull's the best. David Turnbull's the best player at Celtic by an absolute mile. And it's a tough job, you know. It's a it's a tough job, and I just think with Rangers or Rangers are sort of. Uh, in the groove now, they've won one. They've won one uh, league. Steven Gerrard's got a structure there. They've got a good squad. You know, and Celtic. Have, I think Celtic's first competitive game. We we recorded this before the Denmark. I think Celtic are in Champions League qualifying action in about two and a half weeks. I think or so. Yeah. There's not a lot of time, and you know, the the club's not got huge amounts of TV revenue, so it has to generate revenue from things like Champions League. That's all very important. Which Rangers are going to be doing this year, probably. Yeah. Celtic won't be. I mean, it's a. It's a real difficult one, you know. I mean, it could go both ways. I mean, if you look at uh, Ronnie Dahlia, who's a, who was a former Celtic manager, he won the league twice and got hounded out. I was going to say that. It was, it's the, yeah. it's one of the only clubs in the world. Like Capello, was it Capello at Madrid? Because um, the chap yeah. who was running yeah. Madrid basically does what Abramovich does. With I, I like when you win, but you don't win in the right way. But yeah, the Delia, Delia was the. It was a funny appointment because he could get the best out of the players, but he wasn't connecting with the fans. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, it was him that brought Kieran Tierney through, who's been Scotland's best player for a, a long, long, long time. I mean, he wasn't even in the first team till Dyla went there, and he noticed him, and he, and he brought Tierney up, and now Tierney's a star for Arsenal. But I mean, now if anyone's interested, Dyla uh, manages New York City, which is the kind of Man City uh, ownership, uh, t- you know, group. That's their team in America, and. Postacoglu came from Yokohama's Marinos, who are another one of these Man City teams owned by the owners of Man City, the Sheikhs of Abu Dhabi. So Celtic seem to be plugged into that because there have been a lot of teams coming. From, we have had a lot of players come from Man City. Jason Denier, John Gudetti, uh, Frimpong, um, Giorgio Samaras. We've had a uh, lot of players. Yeah. So it seems like... It seems like Celtic are, and Lowell had big links to them, but Lowell's supposed to have left. So, I don't know, there's just a lot of this stuff for this manager that he may do well, he may not, but we'll see how it goes. But he seems very confident the way he talks, but I think he just has to be aware that Celtic's are, you know, it's a, it's a goldfish bowl and you know, some people can't handle it. And hopefully he does, but I think the jury, the jury is definitely still out until we see what the results in the park are. And just for clarity, I am neither Rangers nor Celtic, um, I support both Walter Smith and Martin O'Neill in the way that now, I support. Well, the, 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 the diplomatic wing in Scotland is if anyone doesn't want to see who they support, usually they say they support Partick Thistle, and, you, and you're, uh-huh. you're fine. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, in a way, I do, because uh, there was a chap who came from Edinburgh University, James Cragen, who played for Partick for a bit. But he played in Scottish football, and it was great seeing his pathway open up from Edinburgh University star, and you could tell he could play. Uh, to, to a professional. Yeah. Um, the, um, the question I wanted to ask with regard to Celtic, you, you mentioned the book, in Denmark, they let Grav be Grav. They let Mad Dog be Mad Dog. Do you think he felt straight-jacketed at Celtic? And if so, who was responsible for taming the Mad Dog? I, mean, I think absolutely. I mean, I mentioned in the book, um, I think that before he gets there, in the front page of the, the Scottish Sun, which... They wouldn't allow me to use in the book a picture of it, so I can't show you. I was refused uh, uh, permission to use it. But the front page is Gravison's porn star lover, and there's a picture of his girlfriend on the front cover of the, of the paper before he arrives. So I think that shows you that in in Scotland we have very very few celebrities. So any footballer is a massive celebrity, and he was the highest paid player. In Scotland at the time, he was earning about forty thousand pounds a week, basic, which is a lot of money. Um, which, which is a lot of money in the Scottish league. Um, so he was the highest paid player by a mile. Um, so there was a lot of attention on him, but I think a lot of that also would come from the fans. Um, you know, it's a big club, and and, and he knew it was a big club. He he he'd been told from derbies and stuff. He knew the size of the club. He wasn't ignorant to it. Um, but I think that 
the what really was a problem was Gordon Strachan and him just didn't didn't, didn't get on. You know, I think we all, I think most of your listeners will be aware of Gordon Strachan. He's quite a cheeky chappy. You know, he doesn't um, he's got plenty to say for himself. Some people in the media love him, some hate him. Depends how you like that kind of character. Um, but he didn't like Thomas at all. Him and Thomas, well, sorry, didn't didn't like is maybe the wrong word, but they couldn't connect. Um, and the relationship started to drift apart. So Thomas is sort of playing with the kids in the under-19s at one point, and he's the most... I mean, you're playing for Real Madrid in the Champions League 18 months earlier, highest-paid player in the country, and here he is playing for, you know, on the under-19s. Well, while still and, getting uh, two, two million, million quid a year. Yeah, but I mean, like I say, he would, it wasn't that he wasn't... He was still training at full speed. That's what the, all the, a couple of the young guys are quoted in the book, and people can go online and look at other interviews people have done about talking to him. He was still putting in maximum effort. He was still wanting to play in all these games. He was excited to play for under-19s. It wasn't that he didn't want to play. It's just that Strachan didn't allow him to be who he was in his team. And, yeah, you could say, well, oh, well, maybe he should have changed, but everyone knew what Thomas was like. Anyone in football, like I said, I mean, Archie Knox knew what he was like, Walter Smith, these guys. Strachan clearly knows these people a lot better than I do. Why didn't he pick up the phone and ask her? I mean, football's a small world, isn't it? They, they, they all talk about players. and I mean, you don't buy someone and expect to be very, very different. You, you, you don't buy Zlatan and expect them to be chasing back and slide tackling people on the edge of the box. It's like he's not that kind of player. You don't expect Cristiano Ronaldo to be following the full back all the way back into his own box. So you, why would you expect Gravison to be this disciplined uh, player? Because he's never going to be that. He never was that. And what's the punchline? I.e., who did Gordon Strachan play in that team? Oh, we had guys like uh, Evander Snow, who was hard, uh, you know, as a, a, a Dutch guy who kind of uh, failed to deceive, failed to uh, sort of do much. Um, Yuri, Yuri Yarosek was around at that time. Good player. Um, uh, yeah, you had also Aidan McGeady, who was kind of Celtic's, I guess, Celtic star at that point. But him and Gra- him and him and Strachan had a lot of confrontations, and again, that's widely publicised. They didn't go on. They didn't get on. Um, so I mean, these kind of guys, but Gravison and McGeady are actually were actually pretty good friends at Celtic. They were kind of buddies. But, Stra- but Strachan didn't really see eye to eye. But McGeady stayed in the team. Uh, because I think he obviously was, it wasn't his positional sense, it was more his personality that Strachan had a problem with, whereas with Thomas, it was the opposite. And there was also guys like, uh, in that t- time of Celtic, there was a guy called Bobo Baldi, yep. who was a bit of a legend at Celtic, but he got, he got totally frozen out, he got kind of, he got excommunicated as well, so around the time, and he just sat there and collected his money. So it was a strange time at Celtic, it was a, lot, it was a kind of, not so welcoming, maybe as it as it could have been, or not as understanding to some guys that were in the squad that were just a bit different and maybe needed a a, a sort of a, an arm round them or a bit more understanding. And you know, it doesn't seem to be very forthcoming. And it ends with Thomas disappearing off to Las Vegas, never to play football again. Indeed, uh, there are a lot of books about Celtic published by Pitch in particular. So I look forward to learning more about. They really are the greatest club. Might might be the greatest club in Britain, actually ahead of Man United because of what Jock Steen did in the 70s. And I, I love Glasgow. Every time I've been to Glasgow, I've fallen more and more in love with it. Whisper it, I lived in Edinburgh for five years, so I love that city okay. as well. But, <laughs> but yeah, to have two football teams, and we need, as we've seen this year, we need Rangers to be brilliant, even though Gerard is going to waltz off in three years' time to take over, and hopefully there's a contingency plan for Rangers as well, and the money will just grow and grow. The book is Mad Dog Gravison, the last of modern footballing mavericks. Do you identify with Thomas Gravison, Chris Sweeney? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'd like to think that I've tried to uh, live my life uh, and under the 
way I see fit, kind of things like that, without trying to fit in too much. And okay, I've I've, I've not going. I'm maybe maybe not as unusual as what he is, or so I don't see myself that way. Maybe others do, but that's up to them. Um, no, but yeah, I think I think we all could. And I mean, this is not really. I mean, it sounds stupid to say it's not really a book about about football. Um, it's really a book about a person. That's what I write, you know. I and mean, that's like I said before, we was the start of this call that. You know, I'm not really. I'm not a sports writer. I don't go to match games. I don't. I don't do that. It's not my job. I, I really. I, I interview people and I write features. That's really. That's why I do day to day. And my first book was again was about a person. He happened to be a BMX rider, but it was the person that interested me. And with this one, it's the person that interests me. I think there's a lot we can learn from Thomas. At the start, I put a small note to Thomas, and I sort of mentioned to any kid that I think he's a, a good, a good role model of never losing your identity and, and being who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Calvin has written books with Alistair Cook and Gareth Thomas and Joey Barton and those are not books about sport they're books about men who do sport so I think Gravison's story chimes with that obviously unlike Gareth Thomas he's not gay unlike Alistair Cook he doesn't own a farm although he did grow up in the countryside yeah he did yeah he did yeah, yeah. 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 Well, he also bought a huge plot of land because when he, well, there's one story when he goes back to Denmark he wants to build this huge house but he ends up buying off this farmer I think he is and he buys this huge plot of land where he wants this big mansion to be um, or big house anyway in this part of Denmark where he grew up but he can't get planning permission so he's stuck with this huge lot of land that he can never get rid of so yeah so anyway humorously that's yeah. what Bob Dylan did. Bought a house when he had five kids in the house. Sarah went off and he's, he said, I'm stuck with this house. I didn't even put carpet in the living room. So again, <laughs> Gravison and Dylan. Uh, this book yeah. came out in 2019. Uh, we've had the lockdown yeah. for the last year and a half. Are you working on another football book? Um, I'm about to start working on one. Um, actually, enough, I've been doing another book with someone else who works in the financial world. Um, so I'm pretty much finished that, and I have an idea. Uh, so I'm think I'm going to start another football book. Yeah, so again, it's not really about football, but yeah, I think I might. I think I think I think I might do another book. Yeah, give us from, give us the li- the tiniest clue. Well, uh, the tiniest clue was it involves uh, Diego Maradona. I've heard of him. Uh, Guillaume Balaguer, yeah, in yeah, fact, yeah. as we talk this week, has put out his biography of Maradona. And we know Maradona's story. It's just now you can't libel the dead. So hopefully there yeah. will be some interesting nuggets. That The book w- will have got more promotion after the Euro has finished, but I heard Guillaume on the radio last night. And uh, yes, he's done his research. And yeah, if you're looking for a man, Maradona is a saint. There are very few people touching Maradona. Pele, What's Croy- actually interesting, it's interesting to use the word saint because that's something that I'm going to uh, play with a little bit in my book. That's something that I'm going to explore. So, uh, well, I, yeah, that, that's something I'm looking at exploring. So that's quite interesting you say that. That's mm. uh, reassuring. That's something I'm going to explore. That well, in as much as when his body was lying in state, there were people mm. fighting to get a glimpse of him and it just seemed like a Turin Shroud figure. And like Michael Jackson, we've got the mess to do with the estate, who gets Maradona's money, so it's becoming a nonsense there. But he did things with a football that only Paul Gascoigne or George Best or uh, Jinky Johnson could do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was, uh, was, uh, I mean, his best football of all time, in my opinion. But yeah, it's interesting you say that. Yeah, that's something I'm going to try and explore the sort of uh, spiritual side of Diego Maradona as opposed to the... You know, the sort of side maybe we all, uh, or the parts that we all know about and stuff mm. like that, I want to try and take in a different, slightly different direction. So, yeah, something I've been, I've been sort of planning out for a while, well, since he, since he died. 
so yeah, I think it hopefully works okay. I, I'm expecting a little bit of a backlash because if I play with religion, I know more people might not like it. But um, yeah, it's all it's all intended in the best uh, possible uh, manner. Well, talking about controversy, you write for Russia Today. Yes. I actually have a friend who does some work on the website, so I'm sure he'll know your byline. Um, There isn't really a question here. It's just, um, you write for Russia Today. I think it's a platform a lot of people maybe have an opinion of, and I would encourage them to go on, have a look at it, and, you know, if you you enjoy it, stay on. If you don't enjoy it, don't stay on. You know, there's no real... um, I think maybe people imagine there's this big agenda that, that I, someone like myself, is told to write certain pieces or to adhere to certain political views or things like that, but that's not the case. Um, very professional, very organised. Um, yeah, I enjoy it. It's a good outlet for me. So, yeah, I'll continue to write for them if they uh, if they continue to have me. Yeah, and always judge the journalist, because otherwise I'd be saying to Henry Winter, how dare you work for the guy whose paper hacked all the phones? Admittedly, not that one, but the other one. There was this weird yeah. situation yesterday where Harry Cole, political editor of The Sun, was talking to uh-huh. Julia Hartley Brewer, the morning presenter of Talk Radio, and Talk Radio and The Sun are owned by the same people. Yeah, and no, and, both, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. So, yeah, forget about the media. At the time, The Sun, by the way, went with Bring Home the Bacon, and they put bacon in the shape of St. George, St. George's Cross. On All a, right, a I, I'm not sure what... Uh, well, I know for sure that won't be the Scottish edition's front page. I don't know what it is, but it certainly won't be that. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably uh, the da- <laughs> just the opposite. Da- the bacon filling in the red bits of the Danish flag, saying Bring Home yeah, the Bacon. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the media is, uh, I mean, I think, I think there's always things where you can, uh, you know, things are owned by certain people and people do certain things, but I think you're right. I, I think the individual has a, has a lot to play in it. Um, but yeah, I, I think the most uh, people look into things and make their own minds up and have respect for both sides of the, the divide as long as it's, you know, as long as it's respectful and hospitable. I think, you know, I think we can all learn something from each other in some ways. I imagine you've listened to Off the Ball at some point in your career. May have been yeah, on I've it. actually been on it. I've mm-hmm. actually been on it. Yeah, I was, I was on it with the Scravison book, actually. Now I'm thinking back. Yeah, I was on it with the Scravison book a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah I... with Tom Cowan and Stuart Cosgrove. Yeah. yeah, and the unseen third hand is Andy Bollin, who um, I've spoken to. Andy's written... Uh, he's got a book coming out about European football in 100 Objects. His book, The Scottish Football in 100 Objects, is wonderful. And Andy famously was a musician, uh, he knows Eugene Kelly very well. Uh, so to finish very quickly, which musician that you've met most reminded you of Thomas Gravison? Oh, I've met a lot of musicians. Because uh, that's something what I did in my early career. I used to interview bands, so I've interviewed loads of people. Who reminded me of Thomas Gravison? Who sort of lived their life on the air? Who, who sort of did what they wanted Who could you imagine going on a motorcycle over the speed limit wearing improper footwear? That's probably a couple of answers. I can get. I can get, probably give you the most honest answers. A guy called Kyle Faulkner, oh, who was lovely. a singer for a for a band called The, the View, View from Dundee. A lot of your listeners may not know them because they're, they're, they're a big band, but they're sort of uh, you know they're, they're on hiatus right Kyle now. Kyle is still uh, going, and I, re- I remember yeah. same jeans from Student Radio days, fifteen years. Yeah, ago. Kyle's a great guy. Yeah, Kyle's a great guy. I've interviewed them loads of times. Uh, they sort of came up at the same time I was coming up, so Kyle's a bit like that. I think Kyle's someone who's lived his life, um, you know, who he is, and never sort of compromised too much. 
Tommy Wee is another one, I think, you know, the drummer from... Oh, Mo- clearly, Mo- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've interviewed Tommy Wee. Um, you know, he was a, he was an interesting guy. He sort of, you know, ha- had his way of doing things and, and sort of talking about things and sort of being who he was. I thought that was, that, that, that was pretty interesting. It's also uh, Tommy Tear, who's the guitarist in Kiss. He's uh-huh. a guitarist in Kiss, and yeah, he had another. He was another guy that sort of lived his life, you know, a, a bit like that. It's actually more common in music, I think, because I think music is, um, particularly the older musicians. You know, you were, you were again, you were able to be a bit more of a character, a bit more um, who, who you are. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's more common in music to find people who are a bit uh, more of, of 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 the maverick persona, should we say? So someone who's quite maverick, but probably most people wouldn't think it is uh, Paolo Nettini. Pellantini's quite like that. I, I can see, I know he's probably presented in a certain way. Obviously, he's a good looking guy, and that's kind of heavily pushed by his record company and stuff like that. But Paolo's actually quite, um, he's got quite a lot to say for himself. He's, he's not a pushover, Paolo. You know, he's quite um, demanding and quite, um, well, not demanding, that's maybe the wrong word, quite quite keen on who he is. You know, he knows who he is and what he doesn't want to be. And I think he, he do, I think he probably does regret some of the promotion at the start of his career because he's been sort of put in a box a certain type of artist and maybe he would like to break out of that. I think he probably has his music, but yeah. So those people, maybe a combination of all those. But yeah, I think there's more. One guy who's definitely not like it is John Bon Jovi. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Opposite. I've interviewed John and, uh, sorry, John Bon Jovi, and he's like the exact opposite. He's like someone who's running a business, yep. trying to yeah, make yeah. himself famous, you know. He's the total opposite of Thomas. So yeah, maybe not Maybe not who you expected, but uh, yeah. That's, and Amy Winehouse was pretty cool as well. I mean, I, I, I hung about Amy Winehouse a bit, so she was pretty cool as well. So she, she, I guess she reminded me of Thomas, but a lot of Amy before, I, before I'd even uh, written a book about Thomas. So yeah, I guess all these people together, you know, there's, there's much more common music uh, because it's, it's expected, it's, it's encouraged. Because they're indentured workers. They have to make music for the label, whereas in football, as you mentioned, the agents, the, the parasites floating around football is even when they're 14 kind of precludes that because they're assets to make money for Mino Raiola, George Mendes, John Barnett. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of it with music is like when you see someone that can perform naturally, uh, or not naturally, but they've learned how to perform. So like guys like, we're talking about a few there who grew up and performed as teenagers. Well, when you see a lot of people parachuted in, when you see them live, they're not able to command the stage. They don't have that, just, just that stage presence, just that X factor, excuse the, excuse the pun. But, you know, they don't, they don't have that on, on the stage. And I think in football... Yeah, these academies you can make someone a great footballer but you can't really make them a, an interesting person yeah and that's and where think, it's interesting you know, because you know, football yeah. is a branch of the entertainment industry at the top level not at the bottom but at the top so oh. i hope i really hope we see more mavericks because the last one the last of the modern footballing mavericks cannot be although he's great thomas graverson um but looking at this england squad tonight i don't think bakayo saka is a maverick harry maguire is a maverick in as much as he had that contretemps last year in Greece, that like with Ben Stokes, everybody's forgotten, very conveniently forgotten. Jordan Pickford, no, no, not a maverick. None of the defenders. John Stones is not a maverick. Um, Foden, Grealish, not maverick. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's what I mean. I, I, I don't think. I mean, even Raheem Sterling, he's got a fuse, but I wouldn't say he was. I wouldn't say he was a maverick. You know, it's not the. It's not the same thing. You know, I think you know how they would be. Um, you know, they don't excite me to like. Oh, like if Thomas would say to me, "Do you want to go out or do you want to hang out? Do I do something?" I'd be quite excited. Like, what's he, what's he going to be like? Whereas if one of those guys did it to me, okay, I respect they're great footballers, but their personality doesn't intrigue me. You know. Uh, and I think that's a shame for a lot of uh, particularly younger younger kids and stuff like that growing up maybe football 
football is a bit different now. It's almost like a, it's almost like a PlayStation game. These guys are great. They've got great touch. They're fast. They're powerful. They're fit. But they don't have much personality behind them, or, they, or they don't show it. And Pat Nevin, as you mentioned earlier, he's a great example. Of that Pat's such a a well-rounded human being, and that makes him a more interesting footballer because of because of all the things around him. You know, if he was just a great footballer, he wouldn't be as interesting. Well, we're now in this odd situation where the biggest maverick is fronting a Saturday night show on BBC One and has the biggest, most downloaded podcast on the BBC. And he's a middle-class, six-foot-seven yeah. bloke from Ely. Crouch is not a maverick. He has no, worked Crouch really, really cleverly on his image. The books are great. He obviously sees there's a market of basically rock music fans who appreciate what he does. And I think Crouchy is doing really, really well because he's being himself. This is what he's like. He's a bit of a lad who goes to see Kasabian and does the robot. But he's hardly Thomas Gravison, is he? Yeah, I know. That's what I, and that's what I think's missing. It's those people who who are deliberately trying to create an image for themselves. And like you say, I think Peter Crouch is a great example of that. I mean, I started listening to the podcast when it first came out. I used to live in Zurich. So I remember I'd be running in Zurich and I'd, I'd put the podcast on when I was running there. But I feel like as though I've, got, I've gone off it because it started to become more and more contrived. You know, you could see they were trying to ram in things and drop names. And then at one point he's going through his phone and telling us who's on his phone that's famous. And it's just like, well, that's not really... That, that's you just showing off that you Could also be ironic. People. Could be an ironic way to look at it. But he has spoken to Casper Smeichel, Andre Mariner, oh, tons of people. Yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, he's not a bad guy. It's just that I, I just thought for me was... And that's one reason why Thomas is not involved in this book because Thomas didn't really see himself as writing a book. And when I wrote it, I think if someone says to you, I'm a maverick, it doesn't really come across because if you're a maverick, you wouldn't see yourself as a maverick because you're just who you are. You're not trying to be something else. And I, I think that's a very hard thing, that condition where you are who you are. You're, you're a bit odd or a bit unusual, but you don't see you're unusual. And that's what makes you have charisma uh, you know David Bowie may be a good example of that you know other people like that in the in, in the world you know and I think Thomas was like that Paul Gascoigne probably like you know, people don't necessarily see themselves as different but they are different uh, Matthew McConaughey another example the actor you know um, whereas sort of my own, my own uh, Scotsman uh, fellow Scotsman George Jerry Butler he's definitely not a maverick he knows what he is he's trying to create an image go on these TV shows and you know talk about Scotland and things like that whereas Matthew McConaughey's just, just out there and Texas I, I think it's the Texan in him Texas is different could, yeah it could be it could be you know the, the Lone Star State and yeah. it's just I don't want to see that lost and that's kind of why I wrote the book I, I guess I, that's something I'm trying to I admire that in people when they've got something about them that they don't actually know it they're not trying to capitalise on it or market it or sell it it's just who they are yeah. um, and it's I just feel as though it's it's been chiselled out of society gradually and that one place I see it is football so I think this is probably the way to write about it it was a way for me to express this through, through Thomas when it when I, when I see football, because football excites me a lot less than I used to because of the characters on the pitch. Mad Dog Gravison, the last of the modern footballing mavericks, is going to be better than any book written by any of the Euro 2020 players, either Danish or English. I mean, Kasper Schmeichel's book will be pretty good. Uh, Raheem Sterling's, I, Henry Winter, I think, has is poised or it won't be Henry for obvious reasons, it'd be Karl Anker. But when Raheem Sterling writes his book, it's everything but the football that makes him interesting. He's boring. He's got a goal set up in his garden. He's got a personal chef. He does whatever Guardiola tells him to. He's driven to be one of the best at his craft in the world. In and of himself, Raheem Sterling, boring. 
Thomas Graveson, yeah, I mean, I... in and of himself, fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, I think Sterling's got the tattoo of, like, Wembley on his arm because he grew up looking at Wembley and, like... yeah. I, I walked past his school. Very... The school is round yeah. the corner. I mean, it's, it's all very admirable and, you know, good on him. He's done well and free came from a difficult background. So, you know, all credit to him. But Thomas Graveson would never have got a tattoo of a football stadium on his arm. To You know, that, it was in his head. It was who he was. That was just... He just wanted to be that. It wasn't about showing people and saying, look at my tattoo, look what I've achieved or look what I aim for. It was just, it was just being who he was. He's in his zone. And yeah, I think that's just, when someone's so blissfully in their zone and just living their life, it's intoxicating to watch. If Thomas Graveson had a tattoo, here's a stupid question to finish with that you will not have thought about, which is why I'm extending this question so that you can have a think <laughs> while I'm asking. If Thomas Graveson did have a tattoo, what would it be of? Answers to, as uh, it's Sweeney Chris on Twitter? Yeah, what would, he, what, what would he have on there? I don't even know what he would get. I'm not sure. Maybe he might, I don't know, would he get Mike Tyson? I don't know, repay the favour, because Mike Tyson was a fan of him. I'm not sure, maybe. I'm just, I'm just grasping at straws here, because Mike Tyson's a big fan of Thomas and actually asked for Thomas's shirt and wore it. And he thought that Thomas was a bit out there, a bit crazy. <laughs> I, mean, I, think when Mike Tyson, I think when Mike Tyson thinks you're a bit out there, uh, you know, you definitely are yeah. there. So yeah, that was when Mike Tyson was at sort of peak mania. So yeah, and, that's, and if anyone gets the book, there's a picture in the middle where you can see Mike Tyson wearing Thomas's number seven Denmark strip that he actually got from the game in war because he was in he was in Denmark for a fight and he, he saw Thomas and was sort of mesmerised by him and his aura and wanted to be like Thomas Gravison, which is uh, just adds to the charm. I don't think Mike Tyson or anyone's ever going to say, "I want to be Raheem Sterling." What's, what a world! Uh, the book is available for ten pound on Kindle and you can find it in the shops it's a lovely looking hardback uh pitch have done a great job with it and look out for the book does it have a title your maradona book oh no no yeah no this is all uh, it's all very sort of what you call it uh, project uh, project x or whatever i don't know what you call yeah, it yeah, yeah project, it's, it's, in, it's in a word doc <laughs> un- unmasked project and uh yeah no i look well, forward to reading it it's on uh, it's on it's just actually on paper at the moment written <laughs> It's all pen and pen and uh, ink at the moment, so we're uh, we're still uh, well, we're still at that stage. But yeah, no, hopefully I'm hoping to have it. I hope, hopefully I've done by uh, for Christmas. I would hope to have it out because I you know, I can go at a pretty fast rate once I got the ideas in my head. And this one's kind of a bit more spiritual, so I don't really need too many other people involved, so I can go at a faster pace. But yeah, yeah hopefully it works out okay. Yeah, and and I I hope the same thing works for Glasgow Celtic this year. You deserve better than second place. <laughs> uh, the Europa Conference League. Here we come. Thursday night, yeah, Channel 5. I don't, I don't hold much hope for any, any European runs this year, that's for sure. Mm, well, at least Gravison and indeed you, Chris Sweeney, were part of that ride. Thanks so much. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure.